Okay, Bokatov. Um, today's daffy is Yudchet. Of course, we're still working out a little bit of a deficit. Um, at least we don't pay interest on it, I don't think. Anyway, we pick up Yudzayin and Bet. We're in the middle of the idea of things that have to be al Seder. We did the Megillah, we did Shema, now we're in Shemona Esrei. And obviously, Shemona Esrei, the text is rabbinic, so we're not um, quoting any verses to prove it has to be al Seder, but we are quoting the, uh, our, the uh, discussion of what the, what the logic of the organization is. Um, and um, in terms of the implication of it has to be al Haseder, I'll uh, just uh, point our, our, our attention very quickly to the Tosos on Yudzayin Amadbet. Hasistir Shemona Esrei Brachot al Haseder. So he organized it in the order. So it says, "In kan kachil mas pirush rashi bebrachot kabiyim sayot im lehem seder." The pirush team as taaba achat min abrachot v'shachach achat min shetzarich lachzur shomer osa brachas v'shachach v'makom sheni zkar. The gomer kilatos. So Rashi says, if you realize you skipped over a bracha in Shmona Esrei, or unless it could happen to us, you for, you said the wrong thing, and you know you said v'tain bracha, well v'tain talamata li'vach instead of v'tain bracha or something like that. Rashi says, just. Put in the bracha that you miss where you are and keep on going. So that means that the order isn't necessary. Because the whole point of this Gemara is to say that the order of the 18 is a precise order. And Tosa says, and the, and so says the Kasha, that's difficult. You're not saying the 18 in the particular order. The point if you're saying like is you cannot do even one bracha out of order. So Tosus disagrees with Rashi's interpretation in that Gemara. We don't have to bother ourselves right now what he says there. But what Tosa says actually is the halacha. And if you skip a bracha in Shemona Esrei, you don't just make up the bracha wherever you are. You go back to that point and you continue on from that point on sequentially. And that is the halachic implication of al Hasedim. So, so, so that's what Tosa says. The, the middle are not like the first three. You don't have to go, over all, go back all over the middle. But you go back to what you missed and you continue on. All right, so now, getting back to what the logic of the order is, middle of Yudzayin Amitbet, we have the following. Okay, um... Um, the, um, okay, the, uh, where were we? Okay. The line starts with the word Shene'amar across from the toast of Vidavi. Uh, maybe one line up. There's two Shene'amars, the second one. And so why, after we do the first three opening brachot, do we then transition to Bina? Why is Bina the first bracha we make actually of Bakasha? I mean, every bracha is framed in Shevach. We're praising God, right? Chonein Adam Da'at. God, you have, you do this, you you do this, you do that. But obviously the sort of point of the middle brachot is because of something that we're requesting for ourselves. So why do we do that right after Kiddushah? And again, it can be even heightened the question as why is that the first of the bakashot? So the Gemara says the following. Shene'emar, um, as the verse says, Yaakov, they shall sanctify the Holy One of Jacob, that Elohei Yisrael Ya'aritsu, and they give honor or you know, glorify the, uh, the God of Israel. The and those who are of uh, wayward spirit or of uh, you know searching out will uh, will know wisdom, understanding. So understanding comes after kedusha. It doesn't really give us a logical reason other than a pasuk. We'll read a little bit more and then we'll talk about this a little bit. And why does repentance come after uh, after bina after understanding? Right, because uh, um, uh, that's the next bracha. Because the, ver- the verse says. Um, and his heart will understand and once you understand you understand the uh, error of your ways and you do tshuva 
and then it will be healed for you. So if you start with Bina, Bina leads to Tshuva. Iharchi says to Gemara, if that's the Pasuk that we're learning from, Lema Rifua Basra, why not after Tshuva? Why do we say Slicha? Right? Why is the bracha of of Solech uh, Yisrael next? Why shouldn't the next bracha be Rofei Cholamo Yisrael? Because Vishav Verafelo. So the answer is obvious, which the Gemara will get to, that the Verafelo of the verse is a spiritual healing, whereas the bracha of Rifua that we say is a physical healing. But let's see what the Gemara says. Lema Rifua Basra, Dekuva after Kuva, Lo That doesn't make sense. To see, the verse says, They will turn to God and He will have compassion on them to their God because he is great for forgiveness or he's plentiful in forgiveness so you see the response to Teshuvah is forgiveness so says so why do you pick the verse that connects Teshuvah with forgiveness pick the verse that connects Teshuvah with healing so Gemara says no there's even yet another verse that says the one who uh, forgives all of their sins and heals all of their illnesses. Um, so you see that slicha comes before rifuah. and who redeems from the uh, from the depths my life. So that's why we first do first based on this verse we first do slicha and then rifuah. So the Gemara is not is still not happy. So the Gemara says lemeimra. This suggests the geulah but okay, so you're telling me, this verse tells me, that first you have Slicha, then you can talk about Rifua and Geula. But what do you do with the verse you started with? The Haksid, how about the verse we began with? Vishav Rafilo. That you do Shuva and it's followed by Rifua. So the Gemara finally gives the obvious answer. Ahu, lav Rifua, the Tachaluimhi. That's not a healing of the illness, of uh, the sickness, like the verse explicitly said, Halofei l'kol tachluaychi, ele refuah deslichai. The healing there is a spiritual healing. It's the healing of forgiveness. So you have tshuva, which is responded to with slicha. Obviously, that is the follow-up. You do tshuva, and then you ask for God to give slicha. Okay, now... So, okay, so that's a nice showing in terms of those verses. Um, but, uh, you know, in another place, the Gemara sort of emphasizes that the starting with Binah is because, really, any type of meaningful human life or religious life, right, is because there's uh, understanding. Because, you know, we're conscious of our doings, we make choices, we understand the world around us, right? Other than that, I mean, that's, you know, okay, we're not going to get into an, a, lo- a long discussion about whether, you know, animals' intelligence and how chimps can sign and have whatever, you know, because that's a lot of us for a long time trying to explain exactly what is that human quality that distinguishes, you know, humans from animals. But still, the basic point is, is that what makes for a meaningful human life is because of Bina, and certainly a life in terms of, you know, one of uh, a, a religious life, which involves, you know, which involves choice, and, uh, a, a, which, you know, which involves making choice and choosing one's path and so on. So, um, you know, and the Gemara elsewhere, for example, talks about, you know, the uh, very reason we make, we do, let's say, the Aish by Havdalah, is people think we do the Aish by Havdalah because now it's not Shabbos and therefore you can make a fire, but actually the reason we do the Aish by Havdalah is because of the first uh, fire that Adam HaRishon did according to the Midrash after Shabbos, after God created, so God puts, you know, people on the world and says, have 
dominion over it and then there's Shabbos so then the week begins and then the first act of sort of uh, human uh, creativity and dominion is understood by the rabbis as you know the first man makes fire a fire, you know, is like the, uh, the building block of civilization, um, and you know, and you know, the whole power of human ability to make fire. You know, the myth about stealing fire from the gods. Anyway, in that midrash, what? He's like, he's like, no, apparently not. Anyway, anyway, you know, but the language of that midrash is, I'm not remembering the exact language, but it basically is, you know, Deya or Bina Ba'adam, you know, Me'ain, you know, Chachma Shamal. I don't know if that phrase, but basically, God gave wisdom to the human being similar to divine wisdom or intellect and he was able to make fire and you know that sort of started civilization so sort of like the whole basic you know initial you know activity of the human being is because God gave intellect and understanding and it's sort of seen as you know which for some people is the whole idea of they want to focus on that issue of you know intellect and understanding so there's no question that you know the first sort of thing we do is we acknowledge what that means to be uh, to be given intellect self-awareness understanding choice and the types of responsibilities that come with that. And therefore, the first responsibility leads to making the right choices or also assessing the choices that we have made, you know, but leads to a responsible religious life, which is the tshuva and the selicha. Um, so that certainly is uh, how those three, you know, begin right at the beginning. Okay, so now, and then based on this verse, we, get, we move on to refuah, but really seems to like shift us to another location. Okay, so let's continue here now in the Gemara. So it says, Omara Lomar So why do we say, you know, redemption as the uh, seventh bracha, if you're counting? Because actually, do we have a sitter here? Just a, I'm trying to best leave the sitter. No, sitter, sitter. Right on top of that. Oh, this is that. Okay, yeah. So anyway, so if you look at the brachot, right? So we've dealt with the first few. I, you know, you lo- can lose a little count because you always have to add three for the first three. But we have Chonena Das, Rotsebi Tshuva, Hanuna Marbili Then we have Goel Yisrael, and then Rofei Cholamo Yisrael. Whereas the verse we had first said, Rofei Lekot and then Goel Mishachas Chayaychi. So why have we put Geula before Rifu'ah? So the Gemara already plants the seeds for the answer by saying we, that something about it being the seventh. So they'll be redeemed in the seventh year, according to certain midrashim. The whole process of redemption, you know, and the whole war of Gog and Magog, etc. And what happens anyway in the seventh year of that process will be the ultimate geula. So therefore, lefikach kavu b'shvid. And seven, anyway, we know is like a, you know, is like a powerful language of like, you know, seven is Shabbat. So similar seven is after, you know, some a future gu'ula after the our normal earthly existence. Of course, the problem that Rashi points out is that this gu'ula is not the national um, and cosmic gu'ula. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says. Um, uh, it's like begins right under the Hagos Habach in the left hand column. He says the Avagav the High Geula La Geula the Golusi. It's not the Geula from exile. Um, Ella it's basically God saving us from all of the afflictions that beset us um, so it's more of a personal gi'ula. so nevertheless right, he says the whole process of national redemption comes later because it's called gi'ula, so there's some power you know it is true right I mean using this idea of personal redemption redemption normally has a much more cosmic uh, national 
uh, sense to it, you know, um, then, but here it really is much more at the personal level, basically means like the Pasuk. If you really think of the Pasuk, right? What is it? So that's exactly a good reflection of that sense of personal redemption. Sometimes the person feels not just like challenges are facing them, but they really are like completely, you know, uh, sort of in the depths, like David Amelah says, like in Shachas, and that guy comes in and creates a personal salvation, pulls us out of the depths. But that is in a, yeah, that's a personal way. But nevertheless, that's why we did it seventh, even though the verse would have argued that that comes after Rifuah. And it is a good question, because, you know, Rifuah basically, you know, what does it that Jewish mothers say? You know, if you have your health, you have everything, right? I mean, Rifuah does seem to be like sort of just basic physical health, does seem to be more sort of like of, of, an, of, the, uh, of a higher level need than the Geulah um, aspect of it. But so it is interesting, both the reversal of that order based on the Pasuk, and the Gemara gives this reason. Amar Rava, so the Fika Chavu B'Shvis, Amar Mar, B'Shishis Kolos B'Shvis Mochamos B'Mosei Shvis Ben David Ba, that no, in the sixth year are the uh, call, calls to war, the seventh is the war, only in the after the seventh, right, because eighth, like the whole number of eight is like Nimalo Minatev and so on, only after the seventh year is the ultimate redemption, Mashiach will come. So the Gemara says, Milcham Anami Atchalta De Geulahi, you know what? The war in the seventh, that's the beginning of the process of Geulah, so seventh is still part of Geulah. So obviously this phrase, that Chalta de Geulah, is very huge in, you know, Rav Kook's uh, theology about the whole idea of the beginning of a process of Geulah. Um, you know, there's actually a, a joke that they tell, I'll just skip you to the punchline, which basically is, you know, uh, it's a Lubavitcher and a Breslov and a, and a, and a, and a, and a uh, who else is it? Oh, and the cooknik get, uh, you know, they all die. They've all been very righteous. They all go to Gehenna. So then they all, like, complain to God, why are we in Gehenna? So I'll skip this, the answers to the uh, Lubavitcher and to the Breslov, you know. But anyway, because of the cooknik, so he says, so they get answers from God, why they're in them. The cooknik looks around and he says, Gehenim, he says, the God Aiden. So, uh, so it all depends on your perspective. Melcham is Atchalta the Gula. Anyway, it's a uh, important thing to be thinking about as, you know, as we ourselves are very much engaged in a very, you know, trying uh, war and, uh, and um, you know, and, and everything that's going on right now to be able to step back and to have um, a larger perspective on these things. So, there, so that's more reconciles with the idea that that explains why it's in the seventh. So the Gemara says, Why Rifu in the eighth? So it could just be because Gula and Rifu came together. We reversed the order, so now Rifu is the eighth. But anyway, because the meal is on the eighth day, and people need healing, uh, the, the, the baby boys need healing afterwards, so therefore Rifu is on the eighth. So this is just like symbolic significance of the number, which is not nearly as satisfying as talking about a logical sequence of the order in which they come, which has been sort of playing out until now. Okay. Um, why do we say right, which is about like physical sustenance in the ninth bracha so uh, corresponding to those that basically uh, um, you know the price setters they, uh, they raise the prices um, and they take advantage of the poor to see God you should break the arm of the wicked 
the David, which, are, which based on the context of those Tsukim, are the wicked taking advantage of the poor, which are seen as these people that basically do price to fix things. The David, and that's, you know, obviously sustenance, the basic necessities of life, the food, because of, you know, these type of price fixing, that's being pr- withheld from the people that, you know, have the most, pr- uh, the greatest need for it. So therefore, it just corresponds to those that would interfere with God's, with the ability to sustain the poor and to give people their basic sustenance. The David ki amra, the ki and David said it in the ninth parak of Tehillim. Of course, if you look at the side, what does the side tell you? Which parak of Tehillim it's in? See, well, you have Rashi says the eighth, but if you look at the at the Torah or he says Yud. It's, in our division, it's in the tenth. So there's actually an interesting question of how do you divide the first couple of prakim of Tehillim? So Rashi seems to have had actually two prakim. He, he, whatever, I won't get into Rashi. But anyway, the simple answer is that the first two prakim are really understood to be one. Because if you think about it, right, the first pair of Tehillim, right, it starts with Ashrei Ha'ish, right? Does this have Tehillim in the back? No. Should we need the art scroll? Does the art scroll have the... What? Oh, yeah, I guess we do the Tanakh. But anyway, oh, that's a tough place to find the Elim and Tanakh. So anyway, <laughs> I thought it was only in the back of the Chumash. Anyway, I do, but that would have taken longer. Anyway, um, anyway, right, it's Ashrei Jesherlach Batsas Rishayim, and then it ends with Vidarach Rishayim Toveid, and then Bet begins with Lama Ragshu Goyim, and Bet ends with Ashrei Kochosei Vo. So the Ashrei Kochosevo echoes the Ashrei Ha'ish, so presumably Aleph and Bet for Chazal were combined as one. And then after that first one, all of them open with classic opening words, right? Mizmor Ledavid, Lam Natseach, Lam Natseach, Lam Natseach, Shigion Ledavid, and so on. So the first two, the second one, does not open with a classic opening word, and the last phrase of the second one echoes the first phrase of the first. So that's why, presumably, the first, Chazal understood that what we have divided as two were were really one. Okay, anyway, that has to do, again, not with a logical sequence, but just with the number nine. Nevertheless, you certainly understand that these first collections, once you deal with the issue about, you know, about intellect and, you know, and about making choices and our religious life and our responsibility for our lives and our moral lives, refua, you know, tshuva and slicha, you get to all of the basic necessities that we have. You know, refua, geula, in terms of personal geula, basic issues of, of, of sustenance until the only thing you certainly understand what they're doing together the question is the exact sequence which the Gemara assigns to some of these symbolic numbers okay so now the Gemara continues um, okay now we shift from the personal to the national right so now we go from God you know providing us with all of our needs the, uh, the nature of the brachot switch to the national plane and we get to the kabet nidche amo yisrael even besides, you know even just noticing the sort of amo yisrael right as, as there of making it sort of more broader although it's, I, I don't know if I could say that because we have rofei chulei amo yisrael so skip that but anyway the idea of kibbutz galiot certainly switches us to the second half of the middle brachot which are the national okay so the Gemara says, the verse says, You, the mountains of Israel, you should give your branches, and you should, uh, you know, bear your fruit. My nation, Israel, because they have come, because it has come close to come, the time of redemption has come. So basically, you have the land blossoming forth. Right, and that which is the Birchus Hashanah, the blessing of the agriculture, and that is a uh, foreshadowing um, of the of the redemption which is about to come. 
So that's why it follows. Of course, you could just say, once we're done with the personal, we move on to the national, but the Gemara gives a tra- even a transition here. Mm-hmm. Okay, and once you have that the uh, exiles are gathered, not the Dinber Shain. So now we're starting the process of redemption. So pr- part of that process is that the, uh, you know, it's not just about... Uh, uh, about self-dominion and coming back to the land. It's also about reinstituting a, you know, a, you know, uh, justice in the world. And um, so therefore, now a, din, a judgment is done against the wicked. And this is totally echoing the verses in, you know, not just Yishayot, but throughout the Nevi'im, you know, the later Nevi'im, that, you know, ultimately the future redemption comes with setting the world aright and judging the wicked and you know people knowing God etc so God says that I will like and I will so I will uh, um, smelt out you know like the, the dwarf um, you know there will be a difficult process of purification in which the Rishaim are judged the judges will be once more established Okay, and once the wicked are being judged is an idea of a process of judgment right and a righteous society so then the uh, wicked are punished so the next brachas are right? it's funny the way the Gemara frames it as din because we would have phrased the next frame as you know establishing shoftim I mean before you do the din it's establishing the system of justice society based on justice but that's the point the Gemara is making so you have then you have that justice being implemented and then you get to right, the support of right, before you actually get the flourishing of righteousness you need to first establish a system of justice to then allow righteousness to fully flourish okay one minute okay um, so the call of Zedini Maham, so the punishment of the of the of the of the uh, of the sinners together with the wicked Shenemar, the Shaver Poshim the Khataim Yachtav, and he breaks the, uh, the 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 sinners and the you know Poshim and the Khataim. Now the question is why the Gemara singles out Zedim. To us we read this the same way Poshim and Khataim, they seem to be roughly synonymous, you know, maybe there's a nuance of difference, but why the Gemara here is emphasizing that there's some distinct category. So if you look at Rashi, Rashi says the following he says, um uh, so Rashi seems to be saying that the most point is to speak about those that reject God I and mean, he makes it much more specific actually like you know Torah but basically speaking about it's people that are both wicked in their actions and also people that sort of you know reject God that's what Rashi sees as the em- point of emphasizing two categories here reject Torah um, okay, the Kiran Shakalwa Poshim, so now we've dealt with the wicked. Then Mikromemes Karen Sadikim, the horn of the righteous is lifted up. Now now you know righteousness flourishes. You see the Kol Agadea, I will cut down the horns of the wicked to Romima to Romimena Karnot Sadiq, and the horn of the righteous will be lifted up. Okay, the Kolel Gerihat Sedek Imat Sadikim. Now this is more clearly a distinct category as opposed to Poshim and Zaidim. In addition to the righteous, we specifically identify the uh, those righteous converts. Converts. 
שנאמר, the verse says, "Nikne seitav seivat takum v'adarta bnei zaken." So you give honor to the old, to the those that are older, but also understood by the rabbis as you know the sages and uh, those that represent tzaddikim. And then the samichay, and it juxtaposes to it, if the convert dwells among you, but obviously in the verse it's the stranger, but according to the rabbis, it is the convert. So that is together. And of course, I think there's obviously a very powerful point there, you know, about the whole idea of Jews of choice, that the idea of making choices, right, choosing the right path, you know, can mean like choosing to do good rather than evil, and the issue of tzadikim versus rishayim, but also sort of acknowledging what it means for somebody to have converted and to have chosen the faith. And the power of that, like even if, you know, after somebody converts, they will uh, do sins, as we all do sins, because we're all human, right? So they might not be like a tzaddik judged in like, if you sort of measure up to other people's, you know, mitzvahs and averos, but there's a sense of including them in the tzaddikim for the basic choosing uh, of, that, of that, that, big, that big choice of choosing to become Jewish and to identify with the Jewish religion and the Jewish people. So there's a real power here of including the Yehei Hatzedek with the tzaddikim, yes. You know, one, one is that the Gemara assumed he's in the negative, like, you know, against the Christos, or right. the Rikha Shanim is the positive, you want, you know. And the other thing is, you would have thought, though, that you have this whole system of courts and and, uh, and and all that to do justice, right? You yeah. first have to build Yerushalayim, so... I would, well, you know, the question is here all about, like, the process, right? About, I mean, what is, you know, what, you know when we say Bonei Yerushalayim, right? I mean, you can have the Bonei Yerushalayim in the very physical sense, right? Which is, like, you know, amazing, you know, like, let me talk about, you know, like, fulfilled in our day. Whoever saw Jerusalem so built up, right, and so flourishing in the physical sense, you know, and that raises issues because we're coming up to Tisha B'Av about saying, you know, you know, Nachem, and how can you say Nachem and call Yerushalayim, so, you know, Shomeman, Avela, and so on. And some people want to actually change the text of Nothing, you know, but you know, also talk about like the Jerusalem as envisioned in the prophets, you know, which is you know, which in, you know, the whole idea of the place of Hashras Hashchina, and you know, this all you know, the, the the sense of what you know Jerusalem in its full religious glory and spiritual glory means, and not just physical glory. You know, Rav Lichtenstein actually said that he said he says the nothing. He says Ha but because he says you can interpret that in the spiritual sense, but he doesn't then say the next phrase, which makes it more explicit. Right, so he skips out those words, but he says he does say, you know, some people radically change the text. He obviously is much more conservative about, you know, these types of changes, but he does take out those, like, next six words, because, you know, and then he says when he told us Salvatic this, he almost had, like, a fit for Salvatic. Not just changing any part of the text. But anyway, but it's a good question. But we mean, in the process of Geulah, like, there's a process of getting society, setting society aright, getting the right institutions there, having it based on justice, having that implemented, having good flourish, and then you get to, like, the Jerusalem that was envisioned by the prophets. Okay? So, okay, that's true. I mean, there could have been a lot of things. Yes? Yeah. In the Gemara, yes, I, I believe so. You know, in terms of this order, um, in terms of also in terms of a question like the, the reflection of the particular meanings of the sections, probably I have to think if there are areas in which maybe a, a subsection gets a little bit more focused. But certainly in terms of like the whole overarching like theme and connectedness of it, then yes, this is it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Back to the, the verses from Yeshayahu, we're actually reading that chapter or most of that chapter this coming Shabbat. There you go. But the last. Verse they quoted the shiver pushing the mother starts that right. 
uh, we actually stop one verse before that. Right, because <laughs> it's a little bit harsh. It's right. kind of harsh. Exactly. The verse is a little more... Right. Okay, so now the Gemara says, um, Where does this good flourish? You know, Yerushalayim. Shenemar, of course, you could say, Michael wants to say, so you have to first get Yerushalayim built before it could flourish in Yerushalayim, but, you know, I think it's also that when it's flourishing, that ultimately leads to the full status of Yerushalayim. Shenemar, Shalu Shalom Yerushalayim, Yishalu Alavayich. So, so, like, think out the peace of Jerusalem, those who love it. So once you have the goodness that leads to the full, you know, reestablishing of Yerushalayim. But even Shenemar, Yerushalayim, now that we have Yerushalayim, but David, Shenemar, now we get to the, you know, climax is with, it's the kingship of David reestablished, which presumably means Mashiach. As the verse says, Shenemar, Achar Yeshuv Bnei Yisrael will be Hashem Elohim. They will then return and seek out God. So here we talk about a verse of seeking out the peace of Jerusalem, return to Jerusalem. So it's part of this whole religious art. But this is all, as it were, coming from the ground up, it sounds like, right? You don't yet have, or, you know, maybe there's some leader, but you don't have, ultimately, Mashiach hasn't arrived yet. But once you have this whole process of building up, and we're ready for it, then that's David Malkam seeking out David their king, and that then David will be, um, then Mashiach will come. It is worth noting that in other discussions about the Shemona Esrei, there, were is- there are issues around um, the combining Boni Yerushalayim and Matzniach Karen Yeshua. Um, because, uh, you know, the whole question is we have 19 brachas, not 18. So normally it's understood that the 19th was the bracha of Allah Malshinim against people that were informers and that were, you know, um, that were sort of uh, ratting out the Jews to the Romans and so on and turning on them, etc. But some actually say that that's not the 19th. The 19th was the division of Yerushalayim and David. That there's usually, and there's evidence from that in Tosefta, that Yerushalayim and David is all about reestablishing Jerusalem as the, as the capital, which is about also, you know, the, uh, about the idea of, of a newly established kingship and so on and that those are really things that go together so and there seems to have been evidence that at one time they were combined it is worth noting in all of this which I'll mention also in a second what is not being said because with all of this of about Yerushalayim and David etc you know and just thinking about an arc of redemption what word is like missing from all this Mashiach right so it's left very much at that abstract level well, okay Karen David right Karen Yeshua, even the end bracha says Karen Yeshua, like Semach David. I mean, it's very abstract, right? And so I think, um, you know, some scholars, I'm particularly thinking about what's his name? Oh, who is this guy that does the uh, liturgy at, uh, I think, at Brandeis? Um, oh, I can't remember his name. Well, yes, Ruben Kimmelman. You know, I think he's spoken about it amongst others. And, um, you know, about, about how much do you want people to have a Mashiach focus? You know, talk about like Chabad or whatever, you know, and Rambam, it was a big fight. You know, Rambam was very against the fact that everybody is preoccupied with, you know, with Mashiach. Um, and how much does that sort of take people away from thinking about this worldly types of responsibilities, you know, as opposed to always imagining a perfect future and thinking about Messianic times. So you can read through all of this and you do not have an otherworldly future. Right? And the whole idea of the future redemption is like certainly a sense of a utopia to be working towards, but not in some type of a miraculous otherworldly sense. I think it is worth like, reflecting on the fact that with all of this, Mashiach and that, those, those uh, sort of connotations are absent. Yes, David, you want to say something? Right. And, and as resurrection of the dead, so it's sort of an argument uh, in favor of resurrection. 
Right. I think I mentioned that also when we were doing, I forget when I mentioned that, I think when we were doing Ta'anit about how the whole idea of Matthew Faruach Morit HaGeshem in the Mechayei Metim, that he makes the argument, is a way of making the idea of Tchiyat HaMetim more persuasive. That the same way God brings the rain and then the ground sprouts forth new life, you know, that that sort of becomes a metaphor and makes the idea of Tchiyat HaMetim more persuasive. Right. So you're making a counterpoint to what I'm just saying, that the whole idea of more miraculous type of a thing, it's interesting. I have to look again. I understand. No, you're right. Kibbelman does make that point about Chiyat HaMetim. But anyway, but it is worth thinking about, and I have to see, remind myself exactly what he says about the Mashiach point, but about even this sense of Geulah remains a very anchor, abstract and anchored, and not sort of concrete and messianic. Yes. <laughs> Uh-huh. One is a flowering and the other is a radical change. Din Birishaim, you know, Mishpat, Sadiqim, whatever, seems very sort of gradual and natural and so on, and not that sort of the base of Mikdash coming down from heaven. Okay, yes. Yeah. yeah. Aha, uh-huh, exactly, because of the, what's absent here. Right, and now let's look about that in context of the next bracha. Okay, so it says like this, which is a very bizarre combination. Now that we have uh, Mashiach, we can pray. The verse says, So what happens at Messianic times? The Beis HaMikdash gets reestablished, but as a house of prayer, not as a house of korbanot. Now, that is a strange way of seeing Shema Koleinu. Shema Koleinu seems to function in the Shemot Esrei. We've just made all of these bakashot, and now that you're done asking for things in specific, you say, please God, listen, you know, hear what we've asked for, respond to us. It's a prayer for a prayer, but it's, you know, sort of like Yishem, Hashem Shvatai Kistach, you begin your Shemona Esrei by praying to be able to make the Shemona Esrei, to say it, you also hear, after you make your requests, you make a prayer that your requests, your prayers be heard. You know, and that's because it's a culmination of everything. Uh, Rav Salvechik also adds the idea that it's, you know, that it's, sometimes we don't know what to ask for. So Shema Kalenu is not just hear what we've asked for, but like, we think we know what we want, but we don't always really know what we want, and there, God, you know, you should sort of answer us in the things we haven't asked for, and the things that we need, that you, that we're not, that we aren't even aware. But however you understand it, it serves as some type of a capstone. The Gemara is reading this as part of the Ark of the Geulah, of the Shema Kalenu, so then we establish the base of Mikdash. And right there, it's fascinating. No, it's just reading it as, once we'll have redemption, then God, you will be more receptive to our voice because we'll have a base of Mikdash. And then that's fascinating because then it frames the base of Mikdash in terms of Makom Tefillah, not Makom Korbanot. But then you move on to Ritzay. Now that we have it as a place of Tefillah, now we can bring Korbanot. 
Okay, Shinemar or Losechem is Ibchayem Laraton Al Mizbechi. He basically based Tifila. You can read Cholamim. So in terms of like which is first and which is second, you know. But okay, it is fascinating that the Gemara here, right, is sort of framing this as still part of that arc of Geula. And before we run to a base of Mikdash of Korbanot, it's a base of Mikdash of Tifila. But of course, then Korbanot is a part of that as well. Now, what I should say is that again, looking at it more pshat, that Shema Koleinu Tifila is culmination. The, what is Ritzay? Ritzay is no longer about this art of redemption. Ritzay presumably is, is this sense of, you know, accept our Shemona Esra, accept our prayers, and we evoke a time when the way in which our prayers or our avoda was accepted was through korbanot, so there's this somewhat of this sense of, you know, tefillah connected korbanot, and therefore, you know, that sort of seems to be the role that it's playing, not in terms of this future time. However, I should say two things about that. Number one is, the actual text is, is more what is the Gemara says, Sashevet avodah lidvir beitecha, right, tekabel, right, tekazene so the text is still very much about this arc of redemption um, and that's why the Gemara sort of situates Shomea Tefillah as part of that and not as I think the more natural way of seeing these two brachot which is like we made all the requests hear them and we remember the time when there were korbanot as the way of our prayers being accepted but here it's not just remembering korbanot it still is sort of looking to the future which is the way the Gemara is framing it that, all of that being said I will also point out that the whole issue of um, you know tefillah is it keneged korbanot or keneged avot the classic pr- debate in brachot and how much do we sort of see that the prime way in which we serve God and offer up our longings and yearnings and requests is through korbanot or how much is it primarily through tefillah if you say korbanot then tefillah is just a substitute for the korban so it's interesting within that to notice how completely absent from our liturgy besides later editions of like adding the korbanot after birchot shachar but from our entire liturgy and, and particularly from our Shemona Esrei is absent any idea of korbanot, right? There's no thing about except this Shemona Esrei as if we brought a korban. There's none of that. Yeah. Now you have Musaf. Musaf is about the korban. But outside of Musaf, like you would not know if you were learning Jewish theology, you know, from the Siddur, you would have no idea that, oh, Sila is supposed to be some substitute for Korban, and Korban is the most ideal way. No, you know, it's all about Tefillah. Now, the only thing you'll say is, well, you have the bracha of Ritzay, right? But Ritzay, number one, does not claim that everything we've done only finds meaning as some type of a substitute for the Korban. And more significantly, you know what word, we just spoke about how the word Mashiach is absent from the Shemon You know what other word is absent from the Shemon Korban! The whole word here that refers to Korban is Ishei Yisrael, the fires of Israel. What the heck are the fires of Israel? You're not even referring to the object that was put on the fire. You know, just somehow the, the fire. And everything else is except their service. And you even throw in right after Ishei Yisrael, what word? Utsilasam, right? So even in this bracha, which is about korbanot, there is a real displacing, you know, of the of the korbanot, and that needs to be mentioned. In that sense, I will say that the yeah, because I think that if you're creating, you know, a, I think that the idea of tefillah kenegad avot dominates, except for by musaf, that is, you know, and especially if you're creating a shemona esrei and you're going to have a religion that no longer has korbanot, and this is going 
going to be the central act of Avodah. You do not want it to only be a weak substitute for what the ideal form was. You know, this has to go to stand on its own. And I should also say that the opening pasuk we say by Shmon Esrei, Hashem does anybody know what, or have, what, what the, you know, where that appears in Tehillim? It appears in Tehillim, Nun Aleph, where the next pasuk reads, I have to find Tehillim here. Okay, let's see if you can beat me with your art school sitter. I was, ah, where's Tehillim? Oh, here we go. Okay, here we go. Okay. So Tehillim Nun Aleph is... Uh, you got it? Where is it? Oh yeah, verse 17. Hashem Satay Kitach V'yagiti Latecha Ki lo tachbot zevach ve'eteina Ola lo tirtzeh Zivchei Elohim ruach nishpara Lev nishpara v'nizkeh Elohim lo tirtzeh So the actual passage we open Shmona Esrei appears in Tehillim in the context of you want our, the, the service of our lips. You don't want korbanot. So quite interesting noticing the absence of Mashiach and the abs- any real clear reference to korbanot. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to be the next line here. So let's take a look now. The Gemara continues. The Kilin Shabasa Avoda. Now that you have service, Basa Toda. So you give a, 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 now the Gemara is very much in the sacrifice mode. So you give a toda, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Now you could do this without the sacrifice. We've done with our prayers, we've asked that they've been accepted, so we say thank you, right? So we sort of have, you know, in anticipation, right? Thanking you in advance. So you know, <laughs> so we say, we do a thank you. We give acknowledgement for everything God has given us and a thank you anticipation that God will listen to our prayers. But the Gemara frames it in terms of korbanot. Those who all sacrifice total will honor me. Why do you then say the Birchus Konim after Modim? So again, very much focusing it in the context of Korbanot. Avram gives the blessing to the people, lifting up Nisiat Kapayim after the sacrifices. So the Mercy says, Maybe it means he, he, he blessed them and then he did the Chata. But says, No, that doesn't make sense. It says he comes down from having done. Miksi lasot. It didn't say he came down. He, he came down to do the chatat. Measo. He had already brought the sacrifices and then he gave them the blessing. See, yes, Charlie. Yes, two things. One, um, the verse from Yeshayahu uh, that ends Kol Hamim. Yeah. Rashi in his commentary to Yeshayahu uh, verse Yeshayahu says that Kol Hamim refers not to, to generic all peoples but to you know? Okay, interesting. Uh, and the second thing is, the, the Shimon Esrei was around when the temple was standing. So it wasn't um, just a replacement for right. Carbonite. Right. Um, right. Okay. That's a good point, too. 
Alright, that's a very good point too. Okay, so, although, you know, it's a real question about that because the Gemara says, I don't know if I would really agree with that statement. The Gemara says, like, and all of the ideas of boning Yerushalayim, etc., really only make sense post-Khorban. So I'm not exactly sure, you know, your assertion. Now, maybe because you're going to the, the Gemara says, yeah. yeah, so one wonders, you know, and maybe there was some similar type of a structure, but some of the content was, was different. Some it of the way, the content that we have it now is very much post-Horban type of a content. You could pray for the continued success of Yerushalayim, you know, when Yerushalayim is built, but it doesn't make sense the way it is now. Yes? To your first point about this, if we're supposed to be it, that's part of the Right. Why, oh, why do we say, right, that's a good question. I mean, the question, it's a question either way, because we don't say Shema Koleinu on Shabbat, because there isn't the, per, per, the specific Bakashot, but I suppose you could still say that Shema Koleinu has to do with the specific request, whereas with say could be just more generic of accepting our prayers, whether they're prayers of praise or of connect, even if they're not, like Shema Koleinu might have the specific sense of personal request. So I think it's an excellent point. Right, I think it's an excellent point that the fact that we say say on Shabbat shows that it's really much more generic about accepting the Shemona Esrei than it is about, right, than it is about the Korbanot. Okay, so the Gemara says like this. So, um, so the Gemara says like this. The Leim Ra'acher Avoda. so if it's the idea that Birchus Kornim comes after the Kornim do the divine service, so do it right after the Avoda, before you do the Emodim. Because part of the Avoda is bringing the Korban of Thanksgiving. My chazi to samachahai, smochahai. So, okay, what makes you sort of connected to that verse? Connected to the verse that we saw before, vayered miasot hachatat, etc. So the Gemara says, mistavra avoda vehoda chada milsahi. No, it makes sense that the avoda and hoda are one thing, again, because the Gemara sort of is seeing this as a korban also that is brought um, of thanksgiving. Um, also, there's the other point as well, which is. Um, uh, let me see, I think Rashi says it one more time. One more time. Yeah, if you look at Rashi, Rashi here does not speak about a Korban Torah. Rashi says, It's serving God. And here I think is the key point, which is that it ends, even when we forget seeing Modim as a Korban Torah, we thank God. Please, God, here's the things we want. Listen to us. Please listen to us. Accept our prayers. Thank you, God, for everything you've given. And then you're basically done. Right? You said please, you said thank you. And the Birchus Kohanim is the communication in the reverse direction. Right? The Kohanim are blessing the people of Samuel Shemia Banisravaniabarchain. It's the vehicle through which God gives us God's blessing. So you have to wait till your service is done, which includes the Modim, and then you sort of get the divine response, you know, you get the bracha through the Kohanim, which really then just leaves you with the issue of shalom, which is still a request for peace. So, well, but that's more of like just this way of ending. You end with, a, with, with peace. You know, shalom is the way you end, but the real avod, the, your, real, your real service, not necessarily Korbanot, you know, has to finish before then you get the response that comes through the Kohanim. Yeah, very quickly, because we're yeah, very... There are days when we can't bring it Right, obviously, correct. Okay, so then the Gemara says, and Rashi here has moved beyond the Korban Toda. Yeah. So the Gemara says, Umara Lomer Sim Shalom, Achar Birchas Kohanim, deceive. 
So now God has blessed us through the Birchas Kohanim, and that translates into peace. Of course, there's a much better Pasuk you could have quoted. Right? Well, yes, but also, what's the last Pasuk of Birchas Kohanim? Right? Right? So, Birchas Kohanim ends with that God gives us peace and there we make the bracha of Mevarecha Mo Yisrael Bashalom. So we're really just reinforcing the bracha that we have received from God through the Kohanim and that, you know, and the Gemara very much emphasizes like, you know, that the God, you know, that, 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 you, that Shalom is the culmination of all brachot. Like if you don't have Shalom then, you know, then what good, you know, then, then, then that's like the Gemara calls it like a vessel you need to hold the brachot. You know, what good is everything else if you don't have peace. That's right. So, that, that verse from the Midbar is actually immediately after the blessing. Right, exactly. So, okay, um, yes. So anyway, correct, but it is funny that Gemara does not quote that. Anyway, but that's the logic. So that actually is important to be aware of, right? The modin comes, ends your service, as it were. Birchus Konin is the divine response, God's blessing, and the Birchus of Shalom just sort of gives the, sort of, you know, underscores that blessing that, that comes through the Birchat Kohanim. So the Gemara says, V'kimeachar, now the Gemara is going to try to reconcile the traditions. V'kimeachar, demeah, the esrim, the kainim, mehem, kamen, evim, tiknu, tefillah, v'aseder. If it comes from the zekainim and the nevim, which is like the beginning of the base of Mikdash period, as, as Charlie has pointed out, shimon apakuli, ma'yistir. So what did shimon apakuli do for Rebbein Gamliel? So he could have said it's conflicting traditions, but the Gemara says, no, shachachum v'chazer v'yasdum. You might remember that from the beginning of the Masechah. Yeah, you know, they have the tradition, but it got confused and lost, and he reestablished it. Okay, now of course, uh, you know, one of the things that we've also pointed out is some of the specifics could have changed, particularly some of the content, which really only makes sense post Horban. So now the Gemara says, Mikan ve'elech, now after you've done this Shmon Esrei, asu l'sapir b'shvacho shamakom. You're not allowed to like uh, add to God's praise. Now it's interesting because you can add certain lines in the Shmon Esrei of personal bakashot, but in terms of sort of trying to add, this is a lot, right? It's a big davening, 18, 19 brachot, you know, that pretty much covers it. You should not, again, personal request is an allowance, but if you feel like, oh, I have to say more things, you know, praise God in more ways, it's not praiseworthy, it's actually forbidden. The Amr Rabbi Lezer, what's meant by the verse Who will speak of the of the uh, you know great doings of God and will make heard all of God's praises? To whom is it fitting to speak of the uh, of the of the of the powerful doings of God? If you're able to speak, say all of God's praises, since nobody can say all of God's praises, it's a principle that the Gemara says of Kol Hamosif Goreya, right? So if you're saying, Oh God, you're so amazing and fantastic and wonderful and da, da 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 you know it all becomes very much like it all falls short and it's all and, 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 it's, and it's actually um, you know the Gemara has you know in, in Brachos tells a story that one of Shriach Tzibor was sort of adding on all these praises and then a rabbi interrupts him and says so uh, have you now said all of the praises of God? You know? <laughs> so it's impossible so the point is that some of what gives us the license is the fact that we've given, we've given a fixed liturgy but with that comes an acknowledgement that we're not you know we're no way able to completely express the praises of God and if you try to do it you're actually you know taking away from God um, if you try to overly do it it's actually you know it's, it's a profound theological problem you're uprooted from the world it's like you know if you uh, speak about it then the person who will say it will be swallowed up 
What's meant by the verse? You got silence is praise. Some of the kula mashtoka, the 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 curative, you know, the 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 medicine for all is silence. Silence is the best medicine. He also They say in Eretz Yisrael, mila basela. A word is worth a dollar. Mashtoka betrayed. Silence is worth two dollars. Uh, so silence is better. Don't think adding makes it better. Adding makes it worse. I just want to end this by saying, you know, the, the simple straightforward point of the Gemara is like I said, that you know, you, if you say something that you've given a liturgy, so you're not presuming to, to speak about all of God's praises, once you start adding, and so it creates that presumption that now you're really going to do the job fully, and then it always falls short, so there's an element of detracting from God's praises in that process. Rambam, however, sees this as very important to his whole theology, Rambam's negative theology, which is a much deeper philosophical point, which Rambam says that any words that we use to describe something basically are rooted in human reality. So therefore, at a very deep fundamental level, um, we get, it's not just we can't because God is infinite and we're finite. Any single descriptive phrase is in some fundamental sense not true. Because any phrase basically is rooted in human reality and it completely is unrelated to divine reality which is completely separate. So the Raman says the only thing you can say about God is nothing. Which basically could just mean like, okay, I can't say anything, or it could mean you could say God is not finite. God is not limited. Because at least then you're not trying to make a positive claim about it. But if you say God is all-powerful, Raman says that's actually false. Because all-powerful still is linked in a human sort of reality, and it's describing, you know, it's describing ultimately something human to God. So for Rambam, this Gemara about sort of silence being important is very central to his idea that at the end of the day, you know, the real understanding of God, or the real thing we can say about God is that we have no way that we can say anything about God. Okay, and with that thought, we will end.